Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Wednesday, October 28th, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, the only in-house union screen printer in Boston, specializing in custom uniforms and business apparel, also home of the best skate shopping in New England. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There is plenty of parking out back. Give them a call for more information, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent you. So I was up late last night uh, watching Game 1 of the World Series, the Kansas City Royals. They won it in Kansas City over the New York Mets 5-4 to four in 14 innings. I don't know if you stayed up this late. I know I did. Not just because I was on the radio late last night. I was on WEI from 8 to midnight. Uh, I jumped on with Mikey Adams and Chris Villani from 8 to 10. And then I took over by myself from 10 to midnight. And I had the game playing in front of me. Now, I was unaware of some of the technical difficulties that they were experiencing. We kind of talked about it when we were on the radio last night. But... You know, only because I saw people tweeting, I actually was not able to pay too much attention to what was going on with regards to the technical difficulties. I was, we had Fox on our TV, but we were still able to watch the game. But apparently, they were giving us the MLB Network international broadcast. I'm not sure. I got to see it. I got to watch the game. There were a couple things I think we might have missed because of the technical difficulties, but I'm not so sure we missed too much. Uh, there was also an instant replay issue that was going on. At one one point, I look up at the TV and Joe Torre is down on the field. That is not good news for Major League Baseball. But regardless, this was a thrilling game. It was a thrilling finish. Eric Hosma with a game-winning sack fly in the bottom of the 14th inning. And he makes up, Hosma makes up for an 8th inning error that... You know, if Familia can close out that save in the ninth, and he doesn't blow that save in the ninth, uh, thanks to an Alex Gordon solo home run with one out in the ninth, if Familia can come in and get that save and not blow that save, the story today is Hosmer's error. Because that was a ball that, if, if you look at Wilma Flores, all he was trying to do against Herrera, who throws 100 miles an hour, was just make contact. And he took it the other way. It was a hot hit ball, um, but it was one. Look, it was one that Hosma should have had. Hosma should have made that play, and he did not. It's a play that Hosma usually makes. He didn't make it. It resulted in a run scoring, and that run in the eighth inning gave the Mets a 4-3 to three lead. But, the, look, the Mets, they got into some trouble with Clippett on the mound in the eighth. They finally put in Familia for the four-out save. He gets out of that eighth inning, gets out of that jam, comes into the ninth, and Familia is a guy that I looked at coming into this World Series, and I was pointing towards as being a guy that I could maybe see being MVP if he continued to pitch the way he was pitching in the NLDS and the NLCS. Familia was automatic, and not just with a ninth inning save, with a four, five, we even saw a six, out save from Familia in this postseason. So, Familia has been great, and he's been automatic. And last night, you bring him in for the four-out save, I'm going, this game's over. This game's over. But here are the Kansas City Royals with the better lineup, and they are deep. They got Alex Gordon in their lineup hitting eighth, and his only hit of the game is a solo home run. He finished one for five, but all that matters is that one. And the one was a solo shot to center field in the ninth inning that tied the game at four. And then you get a marathon game. You get a game that goes into the 14th inning. And a World Series game that began with power pitching Matt Harvey against Edison Volquez. It ends with Bartolo Colon versus Chris Young for three innings. Guys that throw 88, 90 miles per hour. But they were pitching. They, those guys, they were pitching, they were working the strike zone, uh, they were locating, and they gave us a tremendous performance, 
both guys, here's the deal. Bartolo Colon, for three straight innings, he allowed the leadoff hitter to get on base. And if you keep put if you keep letting the Royals get the leadoff hitter on base in extra innings, eventually they're gonna score and walk it off. And when you get to that fourteenth inning, that's exactly what happened. They get into this jam. Cologne gets into a jam, and all Hosmer's trying to do is put one in the air. Puts it in the air, sack fly, game over. Kansas City wins it 5-4. to four. They win game one of the World Series, and there was plenty of drama to go along with it. The stuff that happened in the game, the stuff that uh, was happening on the broadcast. And, you know, another storyline for this one last night was Edison Volquez, his father passing away before the game. Now, all game long, I'm reading tweets from Ken Rosenthal, from other beat writers, from other news outlets, conflicting reports as to whether or not Edison Volquez actually knew while he was on the mound for Game 1 of the World Series. Conflicting reports as to whether or not he actually knew that his father had passed away. And, you know, I read, I mean, I'm reading a story today from ESPN.com, and it's a story that makes no sense. Okay, here's the headline. Source, Edison Volquez learned of father's death before starting game one. This is Enrique Rojas. I believe that's how I pronounce his name for ESPN.com, ESPN Deportes. He writes a story. He says, according to a source, the pitcher heard the news of his father while on his way to Kauffman Stadium for the game. But later on in the story, two paragraphs later, Here's what it says. Royals manager Ned Yost provided a contrasting version of events to writers after the game, saying that the Royals granted the wishes of Volquez's family and declined to tell him what had happened to his father before he took the mound. Here is here's the quote from Ned Yost. He said, we found out about an hour before and we said, what do you want us to do? And the family said, we don't want you to tell him. We want him to pitch this game. We said, if that's what you want, we'll do exactly what you want. End quote. That's from Ned Yost. So that should be the story. I don't understand. Why is ESPN? They're sticking to their guns on this guy's sources. Wait a minute. What's the story here? He didn't know. That's the story. You just heard it from the manager's mouth. Who told you what the family told him. Why do you then lead a story that has a source... That said the pitcher knew about it. Come on. Let's get it right here. Uh, you know, we crush ESPN a lot. And, and we should. I mean, we're, they're sitting there pounding their chest over there. They got a guy who's got a source. This story is not about who gets. It's not about who gets the, the source. Who breaks the story first. Get the story right. Please. And, and what I get from the story is that the manager's telling you the pitcher didn't know. Because the family didn't want to tell him. So that should be the lead of this story. So when we say conflicting reports, I don't even know that I'm going to go there. I'm going to believe the manager of the Kansas City Royals. Now, uh, the Royals, you know, they had Chris Young as the potential plan B starter, but they didn't have to go with that. Uh, Edison Volquez, he went six innings, allowed six hits, three runs. He walked one, struck out three, uh, allowed one home run. On the other end, Matt Harvey. Six innings, five hits, allowed three runs, walked two, struck out only two. He allowed a home run. Um, But I'll say this. It was an inside-the-park home run. That's an error. The first pitch that Matt Harvey threw ended up in center field. Cespedes, who's playing center field last night, he's chasing his ball backwards. Little miscommunication. At the last minute, both the left fielder and the center fielder uh, for the Mets Look, right, both the left fielder and the center fielder, Conforto and Cespedes, they looked at each other as the ball was in the air, and Cespedes tries to backhand this ball as he's running and put his glove behind him. I don't understand why you would attack a ball like that in the outfield, ever. Just put your hand up. You don't even have to run that far. You overran it. You try. That's an error. That's an error. (laughs) And, And Escobar scored. And they called it an inside-the-park home run. 
and it gave Kansas City a one nothing lead. Now, the Mets ended up, they took a 3-1 to lead in this game, and then Kansas City tied it at three in the sixth, uh, and, and, you know, the rest is history. We know it ends Eric Cosma saving, him, saving his own ass and getting the game-winning sack fly as the Royals win it in 14 innings. As I mentioned, game two is going to be tonight. Jacob DeGrom versus Johnny Cueto. First pitch, 8.07 in Kansas City. I told you I have the Mets win in this series. You know, part of my reason to that was that Familia had been so automatic, and I feel like people are overlooking him. Well, you know, we'll see how he bounces back from that last night. Uh, but DeGrom was another major reason, really the biggest reason, and the Mets rotation was the biggest reason I picked the Mets to win this one. Uh, DeGrom tonight versus Cueto. You know, the Mets, they have the luxury of having three straight games because it is a 2-3-2 series. So I don't know that I'm going to sit here and go must win on you for the Mets. But I will say that, you know, I, I think if you're the Royals, you look at this series right now and say, all right, we got them right where we want them. You got them right where you want them. You got Cueto on the mound. You went out and acquired Cueto. And then you got your Donald Ventura sitting there ready to go game three in New York. I, the Royals are in good shape, but it, at the same time, I don't know that this is a must win for the Mets tonight. I feel good about the, the Mets with DeGrom on the mound, and how could you not? He's been awesome in this postseason. Even when he hasn't had his best stuff, he's been great. He's 3-0, and and he's won all those three games on the road, and this will be another one on the road for DeGrom tonight. So I, I think the Mets are going to even it up tonight. I don't know that I'm going to go must win on you again, but I think the Mets are going to even this thing up. So you just hope that we get no more broadcast issues on Fox. I'm not on the radio tonight, so I'll be able to watch this really in its entirety and we will react to everything that happens in this World Series Game 2 on tomorrow's podcast. The broadcast, speaking of the broadcast, i got to mention one thing, and it's tough for people here in New England to do, here in Boston to do, and maybe tough for a lot of people around the country to do because nobody likes Alex Rodriguez outside of Yankee fans, and I'm sure there's some Yankee fans that don't like him. But really, A-Rod has a lot of enemies. I've never really understood it, you know? Like the way they portray this guy because he's been linked and admitted to using performance-enhancing drugs and then lied about it again when he said he stopped and was really continuing to use them. Uh, you know, look, bottom line is when you think of A-Rod, yes, you think of a great baseball player, but you also think of performance-enhancing drugs, right? You do. Now, forget about that for a second, though. A-Rod, forget about him as the baseball player. A-Rod as the baseball analyst, he's part of this Fox broadcast. Not during, not actually, you know, in the booth with Joe Buck, but he's in the pregame, postgame, and they actually cut to him a couple times last night during the game in the extra innings to give some insight on hitting against somebody like Chris Young, who's almost seven feet tall, doesn't throw overpowering stuff, but maybe because of his height, it can be somewhat deceiving, more deceiving than any other pitcher is when they're throwing only 88 possibly 90 miles per hour. A-Rod gave some some great insight last night. And I think that throughout the postseason, he's he's been a pretty good analyst. I mean, that whole crew that they have at Fox Sports 1, it's brutal. It's terrible, right? And Pete Rose, I don't know, I guess it's entertaining because you never know what this guy's going to say next. But, I mean, he drives me nuts. Pete Rose drives me crazy. I think he's I think sometimes he's trying too hard to be to be crazy. I I I don't like Pete Rose. I'm not going to lie to you. I I could do without him on the broadcast. And so but here's the deal. It's tough for people to credit A-Rod for certain things, but I think he's done a great job and I think I think he's, if he's going to get a job after baseball, being an analyst, he's given he's given some good stuff. I really think so. Uh, and, and I think maybe people who hate him for who he is as the baseball player, if you can just step aside from that for a minute and, and try to hear what he's saying, I think he's given some, some pretty good insight, pretty good analysis before and after some of these games, and even like last night at 
points and times during the games when they call to him as they have their little booth out there in the outfield. So uh, let's hope that Fox can, uh, you know, have a broadcast that does not have any technical difficulties tonight for Game 2 of the World Series. So you had that going on last night. What else? We had uh, opening night in the NBA. The NBA began the regular season last night, and you had three games. And the first game, the Cleveland Cavaliers against the Chicago Bulls. The Cavaliers, they're without Kyrie Irving to begin the season. They went out, they added Mo Williams. LeBron's kind of banged up. Kevin Love is back. He missed the playoffs after uh, having that shoulder injury against the Celtics in the first round. Uh, Kevin Love with 18 points. LeBron James with 25 points. Uh, but the Chicago Bulls, they got Derrick Rose. He's playing. Uh, he played 32 minutes last night. He had the, He's wearing the mask because of the, the orbital fracture in his face. Uh, Derrick Rose had 18 points, five assists. You got Jimmy Butler back with the Bulls. Uh, a, a little injury to keep an eye on last night. Joachim Noah with, banged up his knee a little bit. It looked, it looked weird. What are they saying now? Knee contusion? That looked weird. That did not look... He collided knees with someone. It was very, very subtle. It wasn't crazy, but sometimes those are the ones that look weird like that that end up being nasty when you get that MRI. I hope, he, I hope it's not nasty. Look, I don't like Joe Kimnoa. I'm not going to sit her in roof for injury, though. So I, I, hope he's, I hope he's all right. But to me, it just looked too weird. But keep an eye out for it. This game ends last night, the Bulls and the Cavs. The Bulls beat the Cavs in Chicago 97-95 in the first game of the regular season in the NBA. And it ends with Paul Gasol swatting LeBron James. LeBron drives to the hoop, down two, trying to send it to overtime, and Paul Gasol rejects him. It was clean. It was all ball. I'm glad they didn't call a foul on any type of contact, as people say. You know, LeBron, the superstar, prima donna, gets those type of calls. He didn't get the call. Paul Gasol with a great play, and it was a game-winning play. A a big win for the Bulls. Gasol played 32 minutes. One for seven from the field. Did not take one free throw last night in 32 minutes. Uh, Only had two points. Only grabbed two rebounds, but he had six blocks and the biggest block coming in the final seconds against LeBron James as he drove to the hoop and the Bulls win. And, um, you know, look, I had two TVs in front of me last night on the radio and I had the Bruins game on one and the Bruins had a big six to nothing win over the Coyotes last night at the Garden. Tuka Rask, a shutout, and the Bruins finally win at home. And... I also, so I had the Bruins going, and then we had the World Series game going. I did not have much NBA going, right? The Celtics aren't opening their regular season until tonight. I gave my Celtics predictions and NBA predictions on yesterday's podcast, so make sure you check those out. Um, but last night, I wasn't really watching the Bulls and the Cavs. I saw the highlights, and in the highlights even, they're showing LeBron, he's, when he is taken out of the game, he goes over to the sideline and really, what, underneath the basket, and he lays down because his back is hurting him. We've heard stories now. He's received some injections into that back. He's, he's not 100%. But, I mean, he played 36 minutes, and I guess the way I look at it, he had 25 points, 10 rebounds, all of them on the defensive side. In... 36 minutes, but the way he goes over to the sideline, and I just saw it in the highlights, and people were talk- the boys were talking about it here at Beantown when I walked in. You know, I come in, they're like, oh, LeBron, you see him last night, that fucking pussy, like, he can't play. And, <laughs> you know, I, I was honest. I said, you know what? I watched the- some of the highlights. I did not actually see LeBron and what you guys are talking about because all they could talk about was how LeBron – when he was taken out of the game, went over to the sideline, and he wasn't with the team, and he was laying down, and he looked hurt. And so I watched the, the in-depth highlights, and they show it a couple times. It looks so weird because it, it's basically, you know, sometimes you see that. If a guy goes over, he needs treatment, 
you know, he's getting something done on his leg. There were times when nobody was even giving him treatment, and he was still over there laying down as if to say, my back is so sore, I can't even sit upright on a chair right now during the game if you want me to play this basketball game tonight. Like, it's one of the, basically he said it's one or the other. Either you want me to sit down in a chair and not dress, or you want me to play the game and I need to lay down on the ground when I come out because my back is that sore. I guess the way I look at it is, if LeBron James' back is hurting him as bad as he is showing us it is, the way he's reacting when he's taken out of games, in an 82-game season, why are you playing in that game? Why not miss the first couple games? Honestly. What, you think you know? See, because that's the difference between maybe how the Cavaliers are going to handle those, themselves and how the San Antonio Spurs are going to handle themselves. And when I made my prediction yesterday, all right, I'm giving it to you. You don't have to go back and listen. I picked the Spurs to win the NBA championship over the Cavaliers in the NBA Finals. People say, well, you're not really going out in a limb. Well, I mean, I just feel like the Spurs, the things they've done in the offseason, adding David West, uh, they went out and they added LaMarcus Aldridge. They got Danny Green to come back. They got Kawhi Leonard back. I mean, they, they, Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, the boys, the band is back in San Antonio along with some other key pieces and guys that made sacrifices. David West left $11 million on the table in Indiana to come play with the Spurs. I just think the Spurs are the best team. And in the NBA, the best team wins. And I know what you're saying. Well, no shit. I'm not talking about the best team in any given series. The best roster, the best team, the team with the most superstar players, those teams win in the NBA. Like, I'm going to take the best roster. You know, other sports, you can be the better team in a series in the playoffs, but you might not have the best roster. You might not have the most talented roster. So hear what I'm saying when I say in the NBA the best team. I'm talking about best roster, most talented team, Okay. At the beginning of the season, starting the playoffs. That's just the way the NBA is. And to me, San Antonio is the most talented team. And I think they're going to win. And I think that in the East, Cleveland's the most talented team. But by the time they get to the finals, how are they going to look? How banged up are they going to look? They were without Kevin Love last year in the finals against Golden State. And that obviously hurt them. But you go up against San Antonio... The way San Antonio is going to handle their regular season, as we know Popovich does, gives his starters, gives his top dogs nights off, sometimes tells them, stay home, don't even travel with the team. You know, he is managing the regular season, coaching the regular season, managing his team for the playoffs. If you're LeBron James, game one of an 82-game season, which you know you're getting into the playoffs, which you know you're probably going to be a top seed, which you know you're going to make a playoff run, a serious championship run. You feel the need. If your back is hurting you, as bad as you are letting it on to be hurting you, when you're taken out of the game last night, why are you even playing? That's what I don't understand. Why are you even playing? Take a couple games off. Uh, to me, it's it's just, it, if I'm a Cavaliers fan, I wouldn't be crushing LeBron if he didn't play game one. If his back is... Now, I don't know if he's acting. I don't know what he's doing. He played 36 minutes. So the Cavaliers... It, it's, it's weird. It's a weird situation to watch. Cavaliers, it's always going to be a weird situation. As long as David Blatt is the coach and LeBron is on the team. I've heard that they've already called team meetings in Cleveland. Players-only meetings. Not just team meetings. Players-only meetings. They've already had one. That's what the reports are. So, ultimately, though, they have the talent to be able to get to the finals. They do. And like I said, the best team, the most, the most talented team in the NBA usually will survive the longest. And I think uh, outside of San Antonio, the fact that LeBron James is running this roster <laughs> and you got Kevin Love and you're going to get Kyrie Irving back, and you re-signed Tristan Thompson. Uh, you brought in Mo Williams. I think that Cleveland's the second most talented team, or at least they're the most talented team in the East. They're the best team in the East. 
So I, that's why I look at all that and I say, LeBron, do you really, if you're hurt as much as you're showing us you're hurt, why are you even playing in this game? And if you're going to play, why, you know, 36 minutes, let's go. You, know, you got to manage his minutes a little bit if you're David Blatt. And if the guy's running over behind the net all game, laying down. It just it doesn't look good. It, that tells me that he can't sit. If he can't sit, that's a tough injury. It's game one of 82. This isn't, we're not in February, March. We're not in a playoff series. Playoff series, I can see it. You know, playoff race late in the season, I can see it. They won't even be in that. The Cavaliers, they'd be good enough to still make the playoffs. With LeBron missing a couple games at the beginning of the season. Come on. So, I don't know how what that injury situation is going to look like for LeBron, but it looked a little crazy when I did see it in the highlights last night. But the NBA has begun. Um, the Celtics tonight, they will open up their regular season at home against the 76ers. I was interested to see the over-under wins in Vegas for the Celtics is 45 and a half. I told you yesterday I think the Celtics can win anywhere from 46 to 48. They won 40 games last year, two games under 500, made the playoffs as the seventh seed. If you're the Celtics, the improvements that you made, the acquisitions that you had, bringing in Amir Johnson, bringing in David Lee, uh, you kept Crowder around, uh, you kept a, a couple other pieces around, you get another year of Marcus Smart, another, you, know, you keep Isaiah Thomas. I mean, you still have Evan Turner, who I think is the best player on the team all around. You, you, draft, you had a couple draft picks. At least you're hoping, I think, A.J. Hunter can be a shooter for you that, that can be productive. But, I mean, you, you have depth if you're the Celtics right now. It's not really depth with all-star, superstar talent, but it's depth with good enough talent that you can, I think, get to the 46, 47, maybe 48-game win total, which I would say is the over based on what Vegas has them at, 45 and a half. So the Celtics begin the season tonight at home against the 76ers. The Celtics are 11.5-point favorites. 11.5-point favorites. So I'll keep an eye on this. We'll watch it. We'll see how this Celtics team looks. And, uh, you know, if, if it's anything crazy, I'll react to it on tomorrow's show. You know, I like to stick with the national topics on the podcast when I'm not on local radio. But, of course, you know my heart is with the Celtics. So, uh, same thing with the Bruins. Anything that those teams do that is newsworthy, I'm going to mention it and break it down on this podcast. But it's a Wednesday. So, that means that I have to give you my NFL preview for the upcoming week. It's what I do every Wednesday because it's what the teams do. They turn the page every Wednesday to the next week, unless you're playing the Thursday night game you got to turn the page a little bit sooner. Uh, the, what I'm going to do today is give you my Week 8 preview. Again, I do it every Wednesday, so let's get right to it, shall we? 14 games in the NFL Week 8, beginning with Patriots-Dolphins on Thursday Night Football, ending with the Panthers and the Colts on Monday Night Football. The Patriots-Dolphins game is at Gillette, and the Monday Night game, which will close out Week 8, is in Carolina. Panthers host the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, but let's begin. I told you Thursday, the last couple days, how I feel about this game off the bat. And it's that the Dolphins, they're very positive right now. They're feeling very good about themselves. They're coming off two wins with a new coach that has given them some life. But I'm sorry. I, I cannot take the Miami Dolphins seriously when you look at the teams that they've played this season. They, they, they have yet to play an offense and a quarterback that is anywhere close to being in Tom Brady's league, to being in the New England Patriots offense in their league. It's just two different leagues that they're in. So I think the Dolphins, as good as they might feel about themselves right now, I think they're going to get a rude awakening on Thursday night at Gillette Stadium when they have to face this Patriots offense because they're going to find out the hard way that the Patriots are not the Titans. The Patriots are not the Texans. And Tom Brady is not Marcus Mariota, and he is not Brian Hoyer. Or should I say, Marcus Mariota and Brian Hoyer are not Tom Brady. That sounds a little bit better and a little bit more correct. And the Dolphins are going to find that out on Thursday night. As of right now, the Patriots, the spread's going up a little bit. 
I've seen it at eight the last couple days. It's at eight and a half. Patriots, eight and a half point favorite. I think they win by at least 10. And to be honest, I think that they're going to blow the Dolphins out in this game. Short week. People are pointing to that. But look, on, on, on short rest, a short week, only a couple days to prepare. Who are you going to put your money on? Bill Belichick or Dan Campbell? Right? One of the best coaches in the history of the game. One of the best quarterbacks in the history of the game. In their own building on prime time. Or you got to put your money on Dan Campbell, Ryan Tannehill, and a Dolphins team that seems to be, in my opinion, overly cocky right now based on the fact that they've won two games and they feel alive because the coach is working them a little bit harder and they're not such a soft team anymore under Dan Campbell. I, I think that there needs to be a middle ground the Dolphins eventually need to find between what Joe Philbin was doing with them and what Dan Campbell's now doing with them. Uh, because at some point, I think maybe the players get a little bit sick and tired of the big tough guy act and all of this hardcore Oklahoma drill-type practice stuff. I, it, it's over the top. And the Dolphins, I don't know. I feel like they think they're the bad boys of the NFL now. Like, they've returned. They've seen the light. They are now ready to take on the NFL's best. They have yet to prove to me that they're ready to take on the NFL's best. They, they haven't been able to prove it. So, I don't expect them to come into Gillette Thursday night and win this game. In fact, I expect the Patriots to roll. But I'm sure you'll be hearing more from me about this game in the next couple days. But that's how we will begin. Week 8 in the NFL, Dolphins getting their asses kicked by the Patriots on Thursday night. And we got another... We got another 9.30 game. This is another one in London. I kept missing these games. Recently in my previews on Wednesdays, I've been missing the games in London. I haven't been mentioning it. So when I look at it and I see, like, the bottom team listed is always the home team. You know, I always say, like, like, for instance, Detroit, Kansas City. Kansas City's the bottom team. So I say, well, they're the home team. You know, I, I mention it and I preview it and I, I've... I've said some things like, oh, well, you know, it's in their hometown. And you get people hitting you up on Twitter going, it's not their home team. It's not in their stadium. It's in London. And it's at 930. Smarten up. Yeah, you got to be perfect, right? Uh, I, I apologize for those. I guess this Detroit-Kansas City game, it's going to be across the pond once again. And it begins at 930. I'm just sick and tired of the 930 football games on Sundays. I can do without it. I really can I, look, I like watching football all day, but not necessarily from 9.30 to midnight. You know, I'm good with 1, one o'clock to midnight is good for me. 9.30 a.m. to midnight? I mean, that's over 12 hours of football. That's it's a little crazy, I think. But it's Detroit-Kansas City. It's not a good matchup. Um, the Lions are terrible. The Chiefs, they were bad when they had Jamal Charles, worse than I thought they were going to be, they lose Jamal Charles. You don't get any better with that. Uh, Chuck Kendrick West had a big day running the football last week uh, for the Chiefs. And I know that fantasy owners might get all crazy about that. Kansas City, they beat Pittsburgh last week. They should beat Detroit, right? They should beat Detroit. But, you know, to me, I would just stay away from the games that – are being played in other countries that are being played. I just stay away from it. So Chiefs, Lions, am am I going to get up and watch this game? Probably not. I mean, well, I'll be up. But am I going to, like, when I say get up, am I going to, like, be ready, all jacked up for football when this game is on? No. I mean, I might have some things to do. might have to get out of the apartment for a little bit, get some things done on Sunday. Who knows? I just, I'm not going to be glued to the TV to watch Kansas City, Detroit. Is, I don't even know. Is this another game that's on the internet? Like, I, honestly, I just give me the one o'clock games on TV. How's that? How's that? Give me Detroit, Kansas City. You want to give it to me at 4:30? At 4:30 on Fox? Give it. Give me that. Not 9:30. And whether it's going to be streamed strictly online or not, I have no idea. Chiefs are five-point favorites, but. If you're an NFL fan, if you're not a Chiefs fan, if you're not a Lions fan, if you're an NFL fan, this game doesn't really get you all fight up, doesn't get you jacked up, and it doesn't get me jacked up because it's two teams that are not going anywhere this season. 
and then we get the Minnesota Vikings and the Chicago Bears at 1 o'clock in Chicago. So I'm, I'm a little concerned about this one. I won't lie. The Bears are coming off a of bye week. They are 2-4. and four. The Minnesota Vikings, they are coming off a win over Detroit, 28-19. to 19. Peterson had a nice day. Didn't have any touchdowns, but he had a nice running day. He loves running against Detroit. Always is somewhere around 100 yards a game. Uh, the Vikings, they came back, and they were able to beat the Lions. A Lions team they should beat. The Vikings are now 4-2. and two. I told you they're going to be the playoff. They're going to be a playoff team this season. Minnesota's going to be a wild-card team. They're not going to win that division. The Packers are going to win that division. But Minnesota's going to be a wild-card team. One of only six teams in the NFC with a winning record. And the Vikings and the Bears now, it's a one-point spread. I don't know necessarily what's going on. I don't know why this is only a one-point spread. You know, sometimes you see a spread and you're like, wait a minute, what, what, what's happening? They're an injury? There's something we don't know about? I would like to think, though, if there's some type of situation, roster situation, with either the Vikings or the Bears that would make the spread one, I'd like to think that there would be no line, actually, on this Wednesday afternoon. I would like to think that just you wouldn't be able to even look at a line right now. There'd be no line. Well, there is a line, and it's only one. The spread's one? Vikings are only a one-point favorite in Chicago? I guess it's because it's in Chicago? I guess? I, I, I'm not sure, but the Bears' last game before they bye two weeks ago, they lost to the Lions in Detroit in overtime. It was a game that nobody wanted to win. It was the Lions' first win of the season, and the Vikings beat Detroit. I just feel like one point is it, it scares me off to the point where maybe there's something going on with someone that I don't know about on Minnesota. Someone banged up. I, I'm pretty sure Peterson's playing. Let's put it this way. I hope so. I'm about to complete a fantasy football trade that will land me Adrian Peterson. So let's hope he plays. But if he is playing, I expect him to play. I haven't read or seen anything differently. Minnesota, they should beat Chicago. Minnesota are one-point favorite. Uh, I think Minnesota will win. I think they'll be 5-2, and two, and they will be on the road to a wild-card spot in the playoffs. I have bought into Minnesota since before the season began. I expected, a lot of us expected a big season out of Adrian Peterson. He's had a couple tough games, but for the most part, the teams that Adrian Peterson should run all over, he does. And Adrian Peterson, I expect him at some point to just go on a roll, and, and I think that's what we're going to see. Uh, moving forward the rest of the season, leading the Vikings to a playoff spot. And, uh, yeah, I think Minnesota goes into Chicago and wins that game at 1 o'clock. And the spread, a little shady. Minnesota only a one-point favorite. I expected them to maybe be at least at least a four-point favorite in Chicago. But that's not the case. I would think about jumping all over Minnesota. But as I always mention on Wednesday... I don't make my picks with the spread until Friday's show. I give you five games with the spread. It's called Picks Picks every Friday. So I, I wait until then to give you that. Right now I'm just previewing the entire week, and I think the Minnesota Vikings will go into Chicago and beat the Bears. Another 1 o'clock game, Tampa Bay in Atlanta against the Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons, they just barely beat Tennessee last week, 10-7. to Though I'll give Tennessee credit. They are one of the top pass defenses in the league. If, if Tennessee's got anything going for them this season, if the Titans have anything going for them, it's their pass defense. It's one of the best in the league. And Tennessee right now, they find themselves at 1-5 and five at the bottom of a terrible division. When you're 1-5 and five and you still have a chance to win your division, you know it's a bad division. <laughs> the Titans are 1-5 and five and the team that leads the division only has three wins. The Colts at 3-4. and four. I'm not saying the Titans are going to win the division. I still think that the Colts are going to. But it just goes to show you, when you're going into Week 8 and you have a chance to win your division at 1-5, and five, it, you're in an awful division. And the Titans, if they have anything going for them this season, it's their pass defense. And they almost pulled one out at home against the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons, they just squeezed by them last week, though. They are 6-1. and one. They're looking up at a Carolina Panthers team that is undefeated. Uh, but Atlanta hosts the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Buccaneers, they blew it last week against the Washington Redskins. Um, 
I don't think Tampa Bay is going to be able to go into Atlanta and win. But, you know, given some of the close games that teams have been given Atlanta as of late, I wouldn't be surprised this being a divisional matchup with the Buccaneers at 2-4. and four, I would not be surprised that the Buccaneers, and I, when I say the Buccaneers at 2-4, and four, I don't mean like that's some type of good record. I'm just pointing it out that they are 2-4, and four, which means that they have won a couple games. I'm just saying, with it being a divisional game, I wouldn't be surprised if they give the Falcons a game in Atlanta and maybe keep this a little bit closer than maybe the spread has it. Atlanta's a seven and a half point favorite in this one. I expect Atlanta to win, but they have not. Look, the Falcons, the fact of the matter is, the Atlanta Falcons have not been blowing teams out of the water, right? When they started the season and they were one of the undefeateds, um, you know, the wins that they have, they beat the Eagles in week one by two points. They beat the Giants in week two by four points. They beat the Cowboys in their third game, uh, by 11 points. Yeah, they rolled in the Texans. Uh, they just barely beat the Redskins. You remember with the, a pick six in overtime, 25-19. They lost to the Saints. They only beat the Titans by three points. And really, thanks to Devontae Freeman's day uh, on the ground last week. So, uh, the Atlanta Falcons, as good as their record shows them to be, they have not been whooping teams. And with some of the weapons they have offensively, you would expect them to be beating teams by more than they have been. So I'm not looking at this game thinking that Tampa Bay is going to lose by a lot. Tampa Bay is going to lose in Atlanta. But I would maybe think about staying away from that 7.5 point spread. But Atlanta, they will win the game at home because it's at home. That I do believe in. And then you get the Giants... And the New Orleans Saints, it's in New Orleans. Uh, the Saints, they are coming off a win over the Colts, 27-21. to And the New York Giants, they're coming off a win of their own where they beat the Dallas Cowboys, 27-20, to really thanks to the fact that Matt Castle made mistake after mistake after mistake. Three interceptions for Castle in that one. The Giants' passing game could not get going. They didn't do anything with their pass game. Um, I think that, are they still trying to figure out really at this point who their running back's going to be? They busted out a new running back last week who had a nice day in Dakwa. I see the Giants at four and three atop their division, but I mean, their offense just, they have not been able to put it together and, and they look, they're in contention in the NFC East. I believe that, and you have to believe it because their division really isn't that good, and they are in first place right now with a 4-3 and three record. Uh, they should, be, If there's a game in which the Giants can get their offense going, this would be the game against New Orleans' pass defense that isn't very good. So the Giants should be able to get some things going offensively, but New Orleans, look, they've been able to throw the football and, you know, you look at maybe Drew Brees getting a little bit more comfortable with a couple of his targets, getting a little bit more comfortable without Jimmy Graham on his team. Jimmy Graham in Seattle, not being used the way New Orleans used him, that's for sure. And fantasy owners can attest to that, like myself. But New Orleans, at this point, they had the Drew Brees injury earlier, uh, maybe trying to get used to the pieces that they have. The Saints are 3-4. and four. The, I think they're out of their divisional race, but, you know, they're going to have their eye on a wild card spot, as well as maybe even the Giants, if the G-Men can't win their division. So this is a big game for both of these two teams. I think it's a game the Giants can and should be able to get their, their pass offense going. In New Orleans, the Saints are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, this is a tough one to pick. This is a very tough one to pick, because for the fact, as I just mentioned, the Giants should be able to get their offense going. But will they? You know, they, the, the question is, will they? And it's in New Orleans. Eh, how much does New Orleans, how much are they going to benefit from the home cooking in this one at 1 o'clock on Sunday? It, it's a tough one to pick. I, I would have to go with the home team in this one. I, I would. I'd have to go with New Orleans to win this game and get back to 500 and putting the Giants at 4-4 four and four at 500. Hundred, but I I expect it to be very close. I expect this one to be very close. I think you got a lot of close games this week. 
I, I don't know that you're going to have many blowouts. And the 49ers and the Rams, that's another 1 o'clock game in St. Louis. And right now the Rams are a 9-point favorite. I, I, look, the 49ers are terrible. If there is a blowout, this could be it. And it might not be the blowout that anyone expected. Of course, I have the Dolphins getting blown out by the Patriots. But other than that, you know, maybe you look at some of these games. What could be the only other blowout in this week? I think the only other blowout could be the Rams over the 49ers in St. Louis. You know, Todd Gurley. I expect him to have a big day running all over San Francisco. And on top of that, if you watch San Francisco in the last game that they played on Thursday night football, uh, the 49ers are just horrible. Colin Kaepernick? I don't even, I cannot really understand the Colin Kaepernick downfall because he was so good in the in the year that he took him to the Super Bowl, the year that he went to the NFC Championship. He was so good. And here he is, you watch him Thursday night, just as ugly a performance as you could have. And Colin Kaepernick has not been good. And the St. Louis Rams right now, they are 3-3. Three and three. Um, the Rams just beat the Browns in St. Louis 24 to six. I think that St. Louis could have a big day against a really bad 49ers team in St. Louis. So the Rams are nine point favorites at first. I'm looking at it. Go, that's a little high. But then when you actually think about what the 49ers are and you look at the Rams, I think this could be a sneaky blowout. I think so. One of the few, one of the few, that's for sure. Because then you get to another 1 o'clock game. Cardinals-Browns, Arizona, they beat the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football. They didn't do it necessarily in very convincing fashion. Arizona made some big-time mistakes with their kickers, missed a field goal, mixed an, mixed an extra point. Then they got a punt blocked late, and the Ravens come back with the cover late in that game on the 9-point spread. But Cleveland, uh, in Cleveland, 6-point underdog, uh, Arizona in this game, they should win. Like, Arizona's going to go to Cleveland. I feel like they're going to win. But the Cardinals, some of the games that they've lost, they lost to St. Louis. They lost to a uh, Pittsburgh Steelers team that didn't have Big Ben. The Cardinals, to me, have all the weapons. They have all the pieces to be still one of these undefeated teams, and they're not because there have been games that they just have not really shown up for as much as I thought they would. And when they go to Cleveland, this isn't going to be an easy game for them. I don't believe it will be. I believe Arizona will go into Cleveland and win, but I think it's going to be another one of these close games. I do. Uh, and, and for me to sit here and expect Arizona to whoop Cleveland in Cleveland, it's, I, I just I can't look, I can't keep betting on Arizona to have those type of wins. I did last week. They should have. They didn't. That's a terrible Ravens team. And Arizona, I mean, when you look at it, you know, they beat them by one possession, right? So uh, Arizona should win this game in Cleveland, but you can't convince me that this is going to be any type of blowout or that they're going to cover that spread. So I would stay away from the six points in that on that one. So we'll see how it changes. Again, picks, picks on Friday. And then you get Cincinnati, uh, another 1 o'clock game, going to Pittsburgh where there are so many questions. Who's going to be the quarterback for the Steelers? Is it going to be Big Ben in Pittsburgh? I'm not so sure. We're reading reports that the Steelers are expecting Big Ben to play and start in this game. But when he does play and start, missing four weeks with that MCL, how's he going to look out there? If Big Ben can return and be healthy, the Steelers are going to have a very good offense. And let's give the Steelers some credit. What were they, 2-2 two and two? without Big Ben? They should have been 3-1. and one. Because they should have beat Baltimore in that Thursday night game. They should be 3-1 and one without Big Ben. The Steelers, 4-3, and three, still battling. And they're going to play the undefeated Cincinnati Bengals. It's in Pittsburgh. Look, if there's, since, there are, since there's even one report of Big Ben playing in this game, I think he's going to play. And I think he's going to play because they're playing against the Bengals. And if you're Pittsburgh, you might look at it and say, if we want any chance to win in the division, this is a must-win game for us, and it's at home. The Steelers are a one-point dog. Do I think Cincinnati's going to have an undefeated season? No. I guess my only question would be, Big Ben can't just play. He needs to be able, he needs to be able to plant on that leg and throw the football 
as well as we know he can. I don't know that he's going to be able to do that. So this is probably a game I'm going to stay away from. Because even though Big Ben, I think he's going to play, and there are some reports that are saying he will play, I just still think that it's unknown as to when he does play, how he's going to look out there. Pretty serious injury. The left leg, right? The plant leg? I I don't know. It's a big unknown. So I think I'm going to need to see Big Ben Roethlisberger actually get some game action with my own eyes before I start picking the Steelers to win. And on the same note, I don't think Cincinnati's going to go undefeated. I think Cincinnati's for real. But you know how these AFC North games go. It's going to be a close one. And it's Cincinnati's going on the road in Pittsburgh. And with Big Ben back, they might be extra fired up. And if Big Ben does look good, he'll be able to throw the football because he has weapons. He has weapons on that team. And it's just a it's a game that, that I think is going to be close. And the, the, not just the status of Big Ben, because I think he's going to play, but the way he looks and his health when he is playing, that's going to be the toss-up. If you're telling me Big Ben was playing in this game 100% healthy, I'd be telling you Steelers win. I'd be I'd be telling you right now Steelers win the game. I, I would, but I'm not so sure he's going to be 100% as he's out there. He's going to be out there, but how's he going to look? I don't know. So it's a, it, it's a toss-up. It's too close, and those games are always close. I'm going to stay away from that one. Then you get San Diego playing a 1 o'clock game in Baltimore, uh, San Diego Chargers, very disappointing loss against the Raiders. They got their butts whooped last week against Oakland. Uh, a week before that, they almost beat Green Bay at Lambeau. The Chargers are just a frustrating team to try to figure out what they are. When you look at the standings, you see that the San Diego Chargers are a two-win team in Week 8. They're 2-5. and five. I think they're a lot more talented than what their record shows. And the Baltimore Ravens, their record shows them to be a 1-6 and six team. I told you on yesterday's show, I think that both the Ravens and the Carolina Panthers, and you know what, we'll add Steve Smith into this conversation. I think they're all crazy if they don't want to talk about Steve Smith going back to Carolina. I do. And, I, and people try to tell me, well, it ended badly with Steve Smith in Carolina. Come on, again. Steve Smith has more pride than that, okay? He might think that they knocked him. He has more pride. He wants to win. He does not want to end his career on a sinking ship. I think it just makes way too much sense for Steve Smith to leave Baltimore, have the Ravens trade him back to Carolina. It makes too much sense for everybody involved. It needs to happen. It's a perfect scenario. Now, whether or not that happens, the trade deadline is next Tuesday. They're going to play this game this weekend. I expect Steve Smith to be on the Ravens. And they're going to play a San Diego Chargers team that, as I mentioned, is they're more talented than their record might show them to be. Baltimore's a three-point favorite, mainly because this game is in Baltimore. But the Ravens shouldn't even have a win this season. And the fact that they were even in that game against Arizona on Monday Night Football was really because Arizona kept them in the game by making mistakes. Missing a field goal, missing an extra point, and then the punter took, you know, ages to get that kickoff at the end. So, I I think that the Ravens are just a bad team. I've been crushing them all season long. I think their defense is terrible. And, yeah, is Joe Flacco there? Does he like to make the big plays? Sure. Do the Ravens usually lose close games? It's funny because, and I mentioned it yesterday, everybody keeps trying to point out to me that every game the Ravens lose – they lose it by four points, and they lose by five. They lose by one possession. They lose close games. Look, they're not going to make the playoffs. Have you ever sat there and looked at a non-playoff team at the end of a season and said, they're not a playoff team, but they lost every game by only four points? No, you never do that. So it doesn't matter. All that matters is the Ravens are losing, and every time at least for, for the most part, they have a chance to win. They either can't get the final score and, they, and Flacco makes the mistake or their defense can't stop the other team from coming down on the game-winning drive. So how am I supposed to sit here looking at Chargers Ravens in Baltimore and think to myself that the Ravens are going to win this game against Phillip Rivers, who if he does have a chance to score late in this one on a final drive, he'll probably put it in. 
I know you think, why would you say that? He had a chance to do it in Green Bay two weeks ago. He couldn't do it. Well, the Baltimore Ravens are not necessarily the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau, okay? When the Ravens play at Baltimore, they are not the Packers at Green Bay. So I look at this, see the Chargers getting three points, think they're better than their 2-5 and five record, they're more talented. They have some running back issues. Antonio Gates, who was great when he first came back from that suspension, now he's banged up. I still think that Phillip Rivers can find a way to go into Baltimore and win this game. And actually, I expect them to do it. Chargers have screwed me over the last couple of weeks, but that I can't hide. I can't see that and then hide from the fact that they're still a talented team, almost too talented right now to be two and five. And the Ravens are brutal. I think San Diego can go into Baltimore and win that game. Then you get Tennessee, Houston. Nobody really should be jacked up about this one. Um, uh, the Texans are bringing in a new backup quarterback because Ryan Malik gets cut, as he should have been. Tennessee Titans, last week they had to go with Mettenberg, uh, Mettenberger, whoever the fuck he, that is. It's their backup quarterback. And uh, all you need to know about Tennessee is, I mentioned it, I gave them credit. If there's one thing going for them, they have a great pass defense, but they're 1-5. and five. Uh, Houston, they're not, Brian Hoyer, I don't think he's going to be able to throw the football on Tennessee. This could be a low-scoring game. Uh, it's going to be a close game. Uh, it's a toss-up, I'll say. Since it's in Houston, I'll give it the home field advantage to the Texans and say they win a close one. Another close one. And I think Houston wins. Can't spend too much time on that. Two teams that aren't going anywhere this season. One of the better games, I think, this weekend is going to be at 4.05, and it's going to be the Jets coming off a loss to the Patriots at Gillette going to Oakland to face a Raiders team that's coming off a big win over the Chargers after their bye week and a huge performance from Derek Carr. The Raiders right now, when you look at the standings in the AFC West, they are 3-3. Three and three. They are not going to win their division. Denver's 6-0 and undefeated. Raiders are going to try to battle for a wild card spot. If the playoffs began today, uh, they're in the race. And they're in the race with teams like the Jets. So this is a huge game for both teams. It's in Oakland. Right now, the Raiders are a 2.5-point underdog. The Jets... You know, their defense just allowed 30 points. Going into that game, I believe they allowed a league-best, what, 15 points a game? Jets' defense is one of the best in the league. They just faced one of the best quarterbacks in the league. They're going to face a quarterback that likes to throw the football and that has some weapons offensively in Derek Carr. He's got weapons. He's got Amari Cooper. He's got a nice running back there. And... They could give this. They could give this Jets defense some fits. They could, but they're not the Patriots at the same time, and I can't put them in that category. Oakland is at home. I expect the Jets to bounce back. I do. They're a two and a half point favorite. I do think it's going to be a close game because I don't necessarily buy into the Jets offense. Um, mainly because of their quarterback. They got nice receivers. You saw what they could do at times to the Patriots last weekend. But ultimately, the Jets do not have that elite quarterback. And in fact, if I had to take a quarterback to win me a game right now, either Fitzpatrick or Derek Carr, I take Derek Carr. I do. I like what he's done this season. Uh, but it is the Jets D in this one. That's going to be the biggest difference maker. Jets will go on the road to Oakland, bounce back, and win this game and be 5-2, and two, and Oakland will be one game under 500, and, and they'll be trying to crawl their way back into some type of playoff race late in the season, which they could very well do, but I don't think they're going to win this game against the Jets. But this should be one of the better games this week. Jets and the Raiders in Oakland. It should be. But uh, moving on from that, another 4 o'clock, well, 4.30 game. Seattle is in Dallas the Seahawks coming off a must-win game against the 49ers on Thursday Night Football. Seahawks won that. Now they go to Dallas uh, to face the Cowboys. The Cowboys, who last week turned it over to Matt Castle. He was terrible. They turned it over to Matt Castle, and Matt Castle kept turning the ball over to the New York Giants. That's what happened in that one. I don't agree with the decision to go to Castle. Uh, I thought they should have stayed with Whedon. But the Cowboys have issues. Des Bryant, limited in practice. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Who knows? But will that really make a difference? I mean, 
Castle is probably going to like throw into him, but Matt Castle, I just don't buy in that he's a guy that can make all the big plays without making some mistakes. He'll make some mistakes even at home against this Seahawks defense. Seahawks are a six and a half point favorite. I think they are figuring some things out. They needed that win against the 49ers. They got it. I don't know that they're the same team that they've been the last couple of years, but when I look at the standings, I see the Seahawks right now with a 3-4 and four record. I, I do think that they are going to get back to 500. I do think that they're going to go to Dallas, win this game, and I like the fact that it's not 7. I think the Seahawks can win this game by a touchdown. I really do. So Seattle, they needed that win Thursday. They got it, and I think they'll keep rolling going in Dallas against the Cowboys team that's not throwing an elite quarterback at them. I don't like Castle as a quarterback, and if I'm the Cowboys, I don't like him as my quarterback either. they got guys on the sideline fighting. Greg Hardy, great individual talent on the field, but other than that, everything else about him sucks. He's a scumbag, and I don't know if Des Bryant is even going to play, but even if he does play, Again, you know how I feel about the quarterback that's thrown in the football. I will take Seattle to win this game in Dallas. And the Sunday night game, the Green Bay Packers and the Denver Broncos, two teams that are undefeated. It, it, so this is a guarantee. We will not have five undefeated teams when week eight is over. We could have four. We will not have five because one of the undefeateds will go down and it will happen in Denver on Sunday night football. The Packers undefeated. The Broncos undefeated. Right now, the Packers are a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road in Denver. Denver's got one of the best defenses in football, and they're the biggest reason why this Broncos team is still undefeated. Peyton Manning has not had a great year. Uh, He's made a lot of mistakes. I know that people are knocking him. He doesn't have the arm strength, they say. I've still seen him able to make the big pass downfield, sometimes to Emmanuel Sanders. Sometimes he's made it to Demarius Thomas, and Demarius Thomas, who seems to be dropping a lot of balls this season for Peyton Manning. I've heard some people think that this is Green Bay going in and winning this game. This is going to be a tough matchup for the Packers' offense. It will be. It will be. In fact, for the Green Bay Packers, when you look at their schedule, they are 6-0. and They've played the Bears. They've played the Seahawks, the Chiefs, the 49ers, the Rams, and the Chargers. The Broncos are the best defense that Green Bay is going to face so far this season. And it's going to be in Denver, Sunday night football. I don't know what the weather's going to be, but not that that, should, not that that should affect Green Bay. I mean, when you get later into the season, you play at Lambeau. Aaron Rodgers is used to playing in the cold weather. But I, look, I don't think this is uh, I don't think this is a automatic win for Green Bay. I don't. Given the fact that I would take Aaron Rodgers over Peyton Manning, there's no question about it. And I do think that the Packers are right there in that elite discussion level for elite teams in the NFL. Uh, but I think you got to put the Broncos there, too, based on their defense. And based on the fact that I just still have this feeling that Peyton Manning's going to bust out with a huge game at some point in time. Is it going to happen on Sunday Night Football against the Packers? I wouldn't put my money on it. But I just I feel like there's that wild card there with that Denver Broncos team. And that defense is just so good. they got playmakers all over. Aqib Tlaib has been picking balls off this season. I, I, I just think that the Broncos might be able to get to Aaron Rodgers in this one, and they got the guys in the secondary to make the plays. Man, I I wouldn't think that the Broncos would be underdogs in this one. I wouldn't, but they are. I'm going to be tempted to maybe take the three and a half points, right? This is going to be another close game. And if you wanted me to pick who's going to win right now, Green Bay in Denver, honestly, I'm going to go with the home team. I, I'm going to go. If this game was in Green Bay, I'd be taking Green Bay. Right now, you're asking me to pick this game? I think I got to pick the Broncos. If you're making me pick right now, who's going to win? Packers, Broncos. I think I got to pick Denver. Only because it's in Denver. Only because it's in Denver. I think the key matchup here is going to be 
Denver's defense against Aaron Rodgers. I'll be very interested to see that. And it'll be Sunday night. We'll be waiting all day for Sunday night to see one of the undefeateds go down. Uh, And then another undefeated team, Carolina, on Monday Night Football. They finish out Week 8 hosting the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts coming off a loss to the New Orleans Saints. I thought Frank Gore was going to have a much better day than he did against the New Orleans defense. Uh, he did not, and the Colts, they found themselves behind, what, 20 to nothing early on in that game, or at least at one point, and they tried to battle back. It was not enough. The Saints won that one. The Colts, they go into Carolina. Look, I'm just, if you asked me to pick this game a couple weeks ago, I would have told you that Colts would, would could go into Carolina and win. But the Panthers, given how Cam Newton's been playing, given how their defense has been playing, I just think that the combination that Carolina's throwing at you offensively and defensively in Carolina will be too much for the Indianapolis Colts uh, to handle, and I think the Panthers win this game. So when we look at the undefeated teams right now, I think the Carolina Panthers win. I think I'm going to take the home cooking with the Denver Broncos and say that they win. Um... I'm going to say that the Patriots, they win their game. And Cincinnati-Pittsburgh, oh, man, I got to stay away only because I don't know what Ben Roethlisberger is going to look like. I really, I can't, I can't pick that one. I'll tell you this. At least the Patriots and the Panthers stay undefeated. I'm going to say Broncos. I, I, I don't feel as confident about that, though, as you can tell, as I do Carolina and New England. But... Um, at least we know one thing for sure. One of the undefeateds will go down. It'll go down on Sunday Night Football between the Broncos and the Green Bay Packers. So there is week number eight in a nutshell. I give my preview for the upcoming week every Wednesday. Uh, We can get into the Dolphins-Patriots Thursday night game a little bit more on tomorrow's podcast and uh, obviously, anything that happens tonight in the Game 2 of the World Series, DeGrom versus Cueto, I will react to that on tomorrow's podcast. And the Celtics begin their regular season tonight against the 76ers at the Garden. I'll be watching that as well. And anything else that breaks in the world of sports, I'll react to here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, anywhere. Podcasts are available. Just search The Danny Picard Show. Follow me on Twitter at Danny Picard, like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Danny Picard show, all forms of social media, I am on it, and then coming Friday, picks, picks, five games with the spread in the NFL, so I give you a preview on Wednesday, but I give my actual picks with the spread on Friday, when I get a couple days to look more in depth at some of the injury reports, and some of the things, some of the other news that breaks with regards to actives, inactives, who's in, who's out. We know a little bit more by the time we get to Friday. That's when I'll give you my picks with the spread. So today, just a little preview as to what you're going to see this weekend in week eight in the NFL. And again, I'm here five days a week. So join me tomorrow, but now I'm out. See you.